Shall we pray? Our Father, it is our prayer and desire that our worship would join with the worship of heaven tonight and bring honor to Christ, our Savior. We would ask for a greater understanding, greater conviction, and obedience to your word as we listen tonight. May you be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. I trust you have a copy of the outline there, which has the section of the Westminster Confession we'll be looking at tonight, chapter 21, section 8. And we'll read that in a minute. And please also open God's Word uh, to Matthew 12. And we'll be looking also at Hebrews 10, which we read earlier. Matthew 12 and Hebrews 10. This chapter in the Confession, chapter 21, has been really dense uh, with a lot on worship. On God to be worshipped, how he's to be worshipped, a day of worship. And the confession closes with section 8 on how the Sabbath day is to be kept. You may not know this, but the first towns in New Jersey, Elizabeth, Piscataway, Woodbridge, Middleton, Shrewsbury, were all settled by godly uh, Puritan people. And their first laws for New Jersey were laws on the Sabbath. New Jersey, the Second Assembly in Elizabeth, May 1675, with delegates from these six towns, passed laws to require attendance at public worship, prohibited all servile work, unnecessary travel, unlawful recreation, disturbance of ministers during divine service. I always wonder what that is. All punishable with a fine, prison, or corporal punishment. It was 15 years later. March 1st, 1683, the assembly again met, and they passed that according to the good example of the primitive Christians for the ease of the creation, every first day of the week called the Lord's Day, people shall abstain from their common daily labor, that they may the better dispose themselves to the worship of God according to their understanding. First laws of New Jersey were how to keep the Sabbath day. How do we keep the Sabbath? That's the question before us tonight. Look how section 8 reads. This Sabbath is then kept holy to the Lord when men, after due preparation of their hearts and arranging of their common affairs beforehand, not only observe an holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts concerning their everyday occupations and recreations, but also devote the whole time to the public and private exercises of God's worship and to the duties of necessity and mercy. Last time we were looking at how the scripture teaches us that God appointed the Sabbath day, one day in seven. He instituted this in the Garden of Eden as one of the three creation ordinances, work and marriage and the Sabbath, and all three continue for all people for all time, and none are removed until the end of this age. But God did change the day from the seventh to the first day of the week because the resurrection of Christ was on a first day of the week, which changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week. The coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost was on a first day of the week, which changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week. The authority of the apostles changed the Sabbath to the first day of the week. It was unanimous, all the apostles, the whole Christian church. From the beginning of the eternal age, which was inaugurated on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's eternal kingdom has broken into this age, 
and therefore we changed the, the Sabbath was changed to the first day of the week. So since the eternal age of Christ's kingdom has already begun, and we're looking forward to the fulfillment and the culmination of that kingdom, we keep the Sabbath primarily by looking forward to Mount Zion and glory, not primarily by looking back to old Mount Sinai and the Mosaic Covenant. But it still continues. Some say the Sabbath day was only looking forward to the first coming of Christ, and Christ has brought us rest in the gospel, and he certainly has. If you've come to Christ and you've committed your life to him, you know the forgiveness of sins, you know the restoration to God the Father, you know the peace that God gives to his children, the assurance of his love and the answers to prayer. You know the rest of the gospel, yes, comma. But there's more to come. Sabbath rest in all of its fullness is still future according to the book of Hebrews, especially chapter 4. What we're experiencing now in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is only a down payment. It's only a taste of what's to come because the weekly Sabbath continues because it's not fulfilled in the first coming of Christ. The Sabbath is fulfilled in the second coming of Christ when he brings us into his eternal rest. And so we continue to keep the weekly Sabbath because we're looking forward to the best that is yet to be. So tonight, how do we then keep the Sabbath day? We're not be looking at a list of things that you cannot do. There's a life principle which hopefully teach our children. Put the big stuff in place first. If you put the big stuff in place first, then the small stuff all takes care of itself. And so too with the Sabbath day, there's two ways that we are to keep the Sabbath, the big stuff. Put that in place, and I'll probably answer all of the other questions. How do we keep the Sabbath in these two ways? Worship and good works. Let's take good works first, and then we'll come back to the primary, which is worship. Keeping the Lord's day holy with good works of necessity and mercy. And so you see it there in the confession. They are to be taken up the whole time in the duties of necessity and mercy. Let's consider first the good works of the deeds of necessity. Here we come to Matthew 12, and we find a definition of the deeds of necessity from Christ's use of David's example. God's word, Matthew 12, 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here, And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Christ is referring to an incident in 1 Samuel 21 where David is being pursued by Saul. Saul is out to kill him. David is exhausted. He and his men, their lives are in danger and they need to eat. But the only food that can be found is the, the bread from the tabernacle. 
But by God's law, the bread of the table of showbread was only to be eaten by the priests, Leviticus 24. And David is not from the tribe of Levi. By God's word, he was not to eat the bread. But the priest of Bimelech temporarily set aside that law of God in order to obey a higher law, the saving of life. And Christ is reasoning here, if a priest can set aside one of God's commands on worship in, to, in order to feed David the bread of the showbread, which is, he was not to eat, but it was an act of necessity to save his life, how much more can God himself, the son of David, the Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus Christ set aside one of their man-made laws, walking through the fields eating grain as an act of necessity. That helps us get to the definition of what is a deed of necessity. It's, it's a work that's necessary to save or protect an individual's or a society's life from danger, harm, or even the threat of harm. We see that again in Jehoiada's example, 2 Kings 11. Remember Athaliah, the wicked queen of Judah, she had slaughtered the whole royal family, thinking that she had exterminated the line of of David. However, a nurse had kept one son alive and sheltered him in the temple for six years. The high priest, Jehoiada, knew about this plan, and he used his protection to guard the, the crown prince. We read on the Sabbath with the extra crowds, Jehoiada ordered one unit of the army to protect the palace, to protect the temple and the gates of the city, quote, as they normally did on the Sabbath. And the remaining two units were to protect the crown prince in the temple. They normally worked on the Sabbath. And even more soldiers were used in this time of crisis. The norm, yes, is do not work. But to prevent Harm, to prevent even the threat of harm to an individual or to a society is the deed of necessity, and it does not violate the law of God. And so a fireman may not actually be called out on a fire on Sunday, but they're at work to be ready in case of fire to prevent the threat of harm to life and society. And in our complex international connections to our culture and business, think of all the things that have to be kept in place to protect Society and even the threat of harm, police, the armed services, hospitals, computers, internet. A definition of deed of necessity is important to remember. It's the work that itself is necessary, not the mood of your employer. It isn't because the boss says that it's necessary for you to work on Sunday that makes it necessary. It isn't because he'd be angry. It isn't because he'd make life difficult for you. But you have to ask, is this work necessary for society's safety and good? So Macy's having a big sale, and they tell their employees, you have to work Sundays because it's a big sale. Well, is working at a clothing store a deed of necessity to save or protect society's life? danger or harm or the threat of harm, no. I don't know if you were following, and I'm grateful to, for the recent decision of the U.S. Supreme Court protecting the religious convictions of the postal worker on Sunday who refused to deliver mail on Sunday, and his rights were upheld by the Supreme Court of the United States. Good works or deeds of necessity 
that was appropriate for the Sabbath. There are, there's also then the deeds of mercy, and these are also appropriate for the Sabbath. Let's continue reading in Matthew 12, picking up again with verse 7. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. What's a deed of necessity? What's a deed of mercy? We can see that in Christ's healing here. Christ is the example of mercy. He wants his people to show mercy and kindness. So here there's a trap being laid for Christ. Here's a man being brought and there has a withered hand. Is this a deed of necessity? No. Is his life in danger? No. Could he be healed the next day? Yes. The rabbis would allow someone to be healed if a person's life was in danger, so they were permitting deeds of necessity, but not deeds of mercy on the Sabbath. There's a similar situation recorded in Luke 13, verse 10, a woman with a disabling spirit. For 18 years, she was bent over and couldn't straighten herself. 18 years, not an emergency. She wasn't dying. She could be healed the next day, yet Christ in compassion healed her on the Sabbath. And the reaction from the Pharisees was as expected, quote, the ruler of the synagogue indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And here's another example in Matthew 12, a man's withered hand. It's not a deed of necessity. He could have been healed the next day, so they thought they had a trap. Because they said, here's not a deed of necessity, so if Christ is healing on the Sabbath, he'll be working, he'll be violating the Sabbath. But here's an opportunity for him to do good. And if he does not do good, then by default he's done harm. And therefore we got him there. He'd be doing evil. But Christ saw their trap and he asked them, verse 10, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil or to save life or destroy it? He's not trapped at all. Because doing deeds of mercy fulfills the Sabbath. If it's merciful, if it's kind for an animal to be rescued, how much more? A person made in the image of God to show kindness and mercy to them. An opportunity to show kindness fulfills the Sabbath. That's what's meant by a deed of mercy. An opportunity to do good, to show kindness and mercy beyond what's necessary fulfills the Sabbath. So a parent at home with a sick child or the Christian nurse at the hospital 
not just following the technical lines of what's necessary, but giving the bath and changing the linens and showing kindness. We can ask, will this action make someone's burden easier? Would my behavior cause someone to better see the kindness and goodness of God? Years ago, I remember Jack Hope had asked me if it was okay to help his neighbor shingle his roof on Sunday. And I said, well, Jack, it depends. If the neighbor had a hole in his roof for the last six months, and Sunday he's just finally getting around to it, making it a day of convenience, uh, no. But if the storm on Saturday night had caused the hole and water was coming into the home, yes, help him repair his roof, certainly. Mercy. Do you notice how the confession puts this for us? The day is to be taken up the whole time with deeds of necessity and mercy. In other words, this is to be a prominent part of the day. Do you prayerfully look for ways that you can show deeds of mercy to God's people? It's a good day to write that note of encouragement to the missionary who needs to be encouraged, to the elder, to the deacon, thanking them for their service. It's a good day to go and visit the sick, to pray with them, the shut-ins, the nursing home. Nursery workers, when you sign up, you are doing deeds of mercy. The greeters, when they have people back into their home and showing encouragement and fellowship together. This is to be prominent. You take up the whole day in this. Do you? I don't think, unless we're intentional, I don't think it will happen. And you need to be intentional. Would it be once a month you're going to say, let's plan to have people back to our home for fellowship to encourage them in the Lord? Or once every two months. When's the last time you wrote a a note of encouragement to someone on the Sabbath day that needed to be encouraged? Prominent. Taken up the whole time. Needs to be a good balance here, isn't there? How do you keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, in good works. On the one hand, some need to be encouraged. You need to do more. (laughs) Good works are to be prominent. So you need to speak to maybe one person and say, you know, the Lord's Day is a lot more than just attending the worship service and then going home thinking that you have the whole day to yourself and your family. That's not the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is to look for opportunities. How can we show kindness and encouragement and build up others in the Lord? But then you have to balance the other side. (laughs) The good works of Necessity and mercy are not to replace worship either, are they? And so the, the doctor who's called to work on Sunday, yes, but he should still try to get to the evening worship service. It's not keeping the Lord's Day for him to do rounds and then get home and watch TV the rest of the evening, thinking, well, I did a deed of necessity this morning. No, he's, he's substituting that for, for worship. So, too, it may be a deed of mercy, but can't habitually be taking us away from worship. Or the nurse who chooses to work Sundays because it's a day for better pay. What a balance. 
Good works are to be prominent. But yet they don't replace the second way that we keep the Lord's Day, and that is keeping the Lord's Day in worship. How do we keep the Sabbath? Well, we keep the Sabbath with good works, and secondly, we keep it in worship. So first, maybe a clarification. What does the confession mean when it says we are to be taken up the whole time, those three words, the whole time, in the public and private exercises of his worship? I would suggest that the way we should respond is that worship is to dominate the day. It's the primary purpose of the day. Whole time cannot be defended to require that worship and and good works are the only things that you can do on the Lord's day. Because the scripture says more, and the scripture is always the higher and the final appeal and authority. Because scripture includes physical rest and the caring for the needs of life. Westminster Confession doesn't even mention physical rest. But by the scripture's command, the original Sabbath was instituted to be a day of rest. Genesis 2.2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And that's not a, a spiritual work. It's a cessation from labor. It's a cessation from work and creating his the other things he was doing the, the sixth day to rest is to keep the Sabbath. And that's a physical rest. It's a refreshing rest. It's a renewal to our bodies and to our souls. And if you only spoke, focus on spiritual rest, I think the danger is to fall into dualism. You're ignoring the body for a higher, the soul. That's not biblical. Exodus 23.10, for six years you're to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year, let the land lie unplowed and unused. And then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. The land is to lie dormant and to find renewal. Sabbath is to be for renewal, for refreshment, for resting, physical spiritual, emotional, relational. One doctor claims we never knew a man to work seven days a week who did not kill himself or his mind. Don't think that defense can be made that the only things you can do are worship and good works. So what does it mean the whole time? It's in this sense that worship is to dominate the day. There's five implications that worship dominates the day. And the first is, if worship dominates the day, then worship is to be the central purpose for the day. Leviticus 23, the Sabbath required people to assemble for the public worship of God. The Lord said to Moses, quote, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed meetings, the sacred assemblies of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. There are six days which you may work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of rest, a day of sacred assembly. Israel was to gather in public worship, holy convocations, to meet with their creator and their redeemer and bring him his worship. It was a reenactment of Israel around Mount Sinai. And so every Sabbath as they gathered around the temple and as they gathered around the tabernacle, it was a reenactment of God in their midst. Christ knew that, and Christ kept that. 
The first mention of Christ in relation to the Sabbath, that he was in public worship. Luke 4.16, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And now look at Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. Scripture tells us, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Literally, forsake not your assembling together. It's an intentional tie that the New Testament church is gathering in corporate worship, just as the Old Testament church was gathering in corporate worship. But the Old Testament church gathered around a tabernacle reenacting Mount Sinai. We don't do that, but we're gathering around Mount Zion with a church already in heaven. But nevertheless, there is still the public gathering, which is the command for the church of Christ every Lord's day. Hebrews 12, 22, you've come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. The Old Testament, the weekly Sabbath, was God's people gathering in public worship. New Testament Sabbath continues this as the day for God's people to gather in public worship. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together for public worship. Worship is to dominate the Lord's day. Someone who may ask the question, how many Sundays can a person miss before it's considered Neglecting or forsaking. Can I miss one Sunday a month? Two? How many times can I miss before I'm disobeying this scripture? Well, to ask that question, a person's already in more spiritual trouble than they realize. (laughs) We look at the fourth commandment to keep the Sabbath holy as for every Sabbath. We're to never let family functions or vacation keep us from public worship, ever. Unless providentially, uh, because of serious sickness or emergencies, we're to be somewhere in public worship, gathered with God's people, every Sunday. The question is not how many meetings of the church do you come to, but what's the direction you're going? If at one time you were more at the public gatherings of the people of God, and today you're less, why? Are we seeing more and more the need, the benefit, the obligation to be with others in corporate worship, to be part of the body assembled in Sunday school and evening service, small groups, opportunities to minister to the children, Bible studies. Once a person has a a mindset that I'm just doing enough on Sunday, just to come enough on Sunday morning, just so the elders don't get on my case, but I'm out the door and no conversation, certainly not letting anyone inquire of how I'm doing spiritually, then you fit into the warning of Hebrews. You're going the wrong direction. When someone's friends and the world take on more appeal than the body of Christ, to that extent, that person is growing weaker and they're in danger of falling away into unbelief. 
One of the means that God has given to protect us is the corporate gathering of his church. And we're to be growing to appreciate that more and more. In our directory of worship, it says, The Lord's Day is a day of holy convocation, the day on which the Lord calls his people to assemble for public worship. The Lord calls the whole congregation of each local church to the sacred duty and high privilege of assembling for public worship each Lord's Day. He expressly commands his people to draw near to him, not forsaking the assembling of themselves together. Five implications. The first, worship dominates the day, so worship is the central purpose for the day. Secondly, worship dominates the day, so everything else fits around worship. If there's something you want to do on a Sunday, and assuming it's legitimate for the Lord's Day, but it's going to interfere with worship, worship wins. So if getting together with the family in the afternoon, yes, but it doesn't interfere with worship, sure. But if it's going to affect worship, then we don't understand that worship dominates the day. When we go on summer vacation, you make sure that that's not an exception. You don't set aside any of the other Ten Commandments on vacation. Plan ahead. Find the church ahead of time. Directions, times of service. So we're always in public worship. Worship dominates the day, so worship is the central purpose for the day. Secondly, worship dominates the day, so everything else fits around worship. Third, worship dominates the day, and it's the whole day, not just an hour. We're not to have the concept, well, I've attended church now for an hour and a half, now the rest of the day is mine. It's the day, isn't it? The position paper, the Reformed Evangelical Synod writes, the survival of the church and of individual believers depends upon the continuation of the apostolic pattern of Lord's Day worship. For this reason, any activity in business, recreation, or other use of time that preempts worship on the Lord's Day must be resisted. And fourth, worship dominates the day, so take care that work doesn't interfere with worship. The commandment is, Exodus 20, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Be very careful not to do preparation for work, anything that interferes with worship. Again, our directory of worship, they are then to observe a holy rest all the day from their own works, words, and thoughts concerning their everyday employment and recreation. We should be careful as we speak to one another and in the Lord's day and we see each other and we haven't seen each other all week and you say, how was your week? Be careful we don't pull somebody into talking about their work, which they'd rather not be thinking about. And also then to give careful preparation. What are five implications? Worship dominates the day, so worship is the central purpose for the day. Secondly, so everything fits around worship. Three, so it's the whole day, not just an hour. 
Fourth, worship dominates the day, so take care that work doesn't interfere with worship. And five, worship dominates the day, so take care to prepare for worship. Again, our directory of worship, in order to sanctify the day, it's necessary for them to prepare for its approach. They should attend to their ordinary affairs beforehand so that they may not be hindered from setting the Sabbath apart to God. It's advisable for each individual and family to prepare for communion with God in his public ordinances, and therefore they ought to do this by reading the scriptures, by holy meditation, by prayer, especially for God's blessing on the ministry of the word and the sacraments. Don't you prepare before you go on a vacation? You just don't get in the car and drive away. You make plans. You have an important meeting with a client. You prepare for that meeting. We're gathering to meet with God to hear his word, we are to prepare for that meeting. Prepare physically, good sleep. Prepare spiritually in prayer, humbly asking God to apply his word to us. How do we keep the Sabbath day? My challenge is get two things, big things in place, and all the rest, I think, will take care of themselves. Good works, necessity, and mercy to be dominant. And secondly, worship. Michael Horton writes, In a consumer-driven society, we boycott the mall on this day. We refuse to surrender to the culture of entertainment. On this day, everyone witnesses to the God, small g. Everyone witnesses to the God they worship. On this day, we witness to the world and to each other and to ourselves that this is who we really are in Christ rather than in Adam, claimed by the Spirit and animated by the age to come. On the Lord's day, everyone witnesses to the God that they worship. We witness to the Lord, our Redeemer. It's a rebuke to us all today. Do you know that when the Puritans arrived in the Mayflower in Plymouth Rock, December 22nd, 1620, Two days later was the Sabbath, and even with their pressing needs for food and shelter in the winter cold of December, danger from wild animals and Indians and the unknowns, they celebrated their first Sabbath in America on a barren rock. The worship of God is to be the delight of his children. If the Lord has given you a new heart and you trust in Christ for salvation, then you love the Lord above all things. And you know and you believe that the Lord's day is holy. He's given you this day to draw near to him and to bring him his worship. After all, what we do on the Lord's day is we're just warming up, getting ready for what we will do forever in glory. 2 Thessalonians 1.10 On that day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people, and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. That's what public praise is for. That's what public worship is for, to marvel at the glories of our God. So we pray. Father, we confess that this is an area of our Christian life that must be constantly Um, disciplined, constantly uh, reflected on, constantly weeding the garden, constantly 
Show us ways in which we are to make good works and worship the dominant part of the Lord's Day. Forgive us for any ways and attitudes in which we have been cold toward your worship and to marvel at who you are and your love for us. Cause us to have a greater and greater love for public worship, love for the corporate gathering of your people, looking for opportunities to encourage each other and stir each other up to love and good deeds. Thank you, Father, for the Sabbath today. Thank you for the strength you've given us and rest. As we go into our week, may we know the blessing of Christ, and may we, from the rest of this day, find the nourishment to live lives that honor Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.